Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm your host, Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. And today, I'm joined by Senior Director of Product Marketing here at Salesforce, Jen Brown, to talk about our recent Net Zero Summit in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Jen. Thanks for having me, Michael. Okay, great. Well, let's just jump right into it. And can you tell us a little bit about the summit? What did we set out to do in the Net Zero Summit this year? With the Net Zero Summit, we really meant to bring together all stakeholders to get the world to net zero now. Those stakeholders include government, groups, educational institutions, corporations, nonprofits, activists. It really takes so many different stakeholders to get the world to net zero and they need to work together. We've seen many companies in the last year making net zero commitments. And now's the time to bring all those people together um, to turn those commitments into action, to make a plan, to learn from each other. It was so exciting at the event. We saw many people connecting who are peers, all working on corporate sustainability. We're making connections with partners who could help them succeed and help them get started on their path to net zero. Tell me about some resources that Salesforce has where people can go learn more about this. Absolutely. Our hub for everything is very easy to remember. It's salesforce.com slash sustainability. Our team has put a number of resources on there to help companies get started on their climate action and net zero journey. We have a climate action plan, which is kind of a handbook for any company to get started on thinking holistically about its climate action strategy and how to go get started on net zero. And then on that same site, you can find net zero cloud information. And also our sustainability team has put out a number of fantastic white papers that go into more specific categories, like how to work with suppliers on reducing emissions, how to move to renewable energy, how to do a TCFD report. So there's some great resources on that page to get you started. Okay, fantastic. And give me that URL one more time. Salesforce.com slash sustainability. Thanks, Jen. And now let's jump into the conversation about the future of sustainable cities recorded at the Salesforce Net Zero Summit in April of 2022. Featuring Kieran Botridge, CEO and founder of Arcadia, Maisie Hughes, Senior Director of Urban Forestry at American Forests, and moderated by Nick Lichtenberg, Executive News Editor at Fortune Magazine. I'm here with uh, Maisie and Kieran, and if you're comfortable, I'd love for you guys to introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about what you do with sustainability. I'm Maisie. I am the Senior Director of Urban Forestry for American Forests, and I manage our urban forestry team. And we are looking at how to make cities more equitable by making sure that trees get into those neighborhoods that need them the most. And uh, Kieran. Kieran Bitraju, I'm the founder and CEO of Arcadia. We're a technology company. We help connect new energy companies, so solar, storage, EVs, smart thermostats, to energy grids and utility data. Cool, yeah, so Salesforce brought us here today to talk about this, uh, this great topic of uh, sustainable cities. And you know, we've got a research from Deloitte that shows cities are responsible for 40% of uh, total energy uh, consumption and then up to 70% of greenhouse gas emissions. So they play a huge role in uh, and sustainability and meeting climate targets. Uh, and it's, it's gonna require a big transformation of, uh, of every industry. And 
you know, you guys are both here today because you can each speak to a piece of this larger puzzle. So first question is, can you share a bit about your organizations and initiatives you're working on, specific initiatives that aim to create this more sustainable city that we're talking about? Yeah, so at Arcadia, our, I would say our North Star is very much impact. And there's really no, like the, the beauty of our business, there's no real trade-offs. Like the more we can get uh, clean, decentralized energy products into the market, you know, the better we sort of do. One of the things we, we focus a lot on is unlocking data. Um, and I think this is sort of one of the things that doesn't get talked about as much in sustainability and energy is um, in America today, your sort of clean energy destiny is determined by your zip code. Like where you live really determines if you have access to solar, if you, um, you know, can uh, be more efficient, if the incentives exist for you. And so we're trying to unlock data so that companies can help make this building more efficient, can help use energy, for example, in this building at the right times of day. Uh, so they're not you know, using just carbon-based fuels, right. but are, are sort of matching their energy usage to what's happening on the grid. Uh, and I think cities, uh, whether or not a lot of people realize this, uh, a lot of cities in America actually manage their local utility. You know, some big cities like Nashville, Orlando, Portland, the actual utility, the energy infrastructure is actually managed by the city itself. And so, um, you know, we do a lot of work to sort of unlock that data, whether it's from, you know, from the utility, for the EV company, for the solar storage company, et cetera. So it's like if you show them the evidence of uh, what the data says, you can, you can sort of change government's minds and utilities' minds about how they manage that. Yeah, if you, I mean, you can ask anyone in your life, like they probably have no idea how much energy they use, what a kilowatt hour is, what times of day are cleaner or dirtier. It's true for cities, it's true for businesses and large commercial buildings like the one we're in. Yeah. Um, it's just been stovepiped, right? It's been uh, sort of a closed uh, data source. And so by unlocking that, you're not just benchmarking and, and sort of, uh, you know, uh, exposing sort of everyone's sort of carbon intensity but then you can actually take actions on it. And that's the companies that work with us. That's the, the work they're doing with the data. Would you say that's similar for you, Maisie, or another initiative you want to highlight? Yeah, I, I think it's similar in some ways. We also look at data. We look at data for outside of the building envelope, of course. And so we have the tree equity score, which you can, you, anyone can actually use by going to the tree equity score.org. And you can find out how equitable your neighborhood is based on a number of different factors, right? So our super geniuses in our GIS department started to take a deep dive looking into equity, right? And that really helps us to have a tool that we can give to municipalities, that we can give to our on-the-ground partners to figure out how they can prioritize tree planting in those neighborhoods that need it the most. That actually jumps us forward in my prepared questions for you guys, but climate change really affects vulnerable communities uh, uh, more. So you talk about like what challenges you're trying to uh, to solve there, like what you're seeing in that, in that space with progress on that. Yeah, I definitely think how we define vulnerability is really important. What's super awesome about the work that we're doing at American Forest is we're not just looking at racial disparities when we're talking about vulnerability. We're looking at race, but we're also looking at other things. Like we're looking at how hot that neighborhood is, like urban heat islands. We're looking at how much space there is for green infrastructure in a place. We're looking at where the seniors are, where the children are, 
we're looking at a number of different factors and, and we're putting them in a calculation very scientifically to help drive uh, where we want to prioritize plantings in cities across America. And we are doing it for free. <laughs> for free, that's amazing. Would you say that's uh, similar, yeah. Kieran, about uh, the issue of vulnerability and climate change? Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's without a doubt that most fossil fuel plants are in uh, low and, and moderate income communities. Um, obviously, it's sort of an original sin of the way we've set up our energy system. One of the things we do at Arcadia is we're the largest manager of what are called community solar projects. So not everyone can put solar on their roof, right? right. Not everyone has a roof. Right. Um, not everyone owns their home. Uh, you know, we, we believe over 70% of Americans today can never access solar. One, because they have a poor credit score or they have nowhere to put it. And so Community Solar is this really unique product where um, you can live in an apartment. We do not check credit scores. We only look at, do you pay a power bill? Have you paid it on time? And so we've sort of ripped away all those sort of regressive um, requirements that exist for clean energy. And these projects are also cited in neighborhoods that provide resiliency to the entire neighborhood, not just a single home, right? It's, uh, it's, it's tied to the grid. And so uh, it's an incredible product. And I think cities have a, you know, have a, have a huge hand in expanding these programs. Yeah, I'm curious a little bit about your, your backgrounds too. Like, did you say there's something about uh, your upbringing or like how you grew up that attracted you to this, this kind of work? Uh, yeah, I, I grew up in rural Kentucky, if you can tell from my uh, <laughs> Scots Irish name and accent. Uh, it, it, was, it's an ama- it was an amazing place to grow up. Uh, it was coal country. Yeah. And so, you know, my father worked on like black lung patients, like very intimately sort of understood um, energy, where it came from, how it made people sick. Right. Um, and, you know, I think transforming this energy system actually is part of actually transforming equity in America from, you know, big corporate entities to decentralized ownership and, mm-hmm. and um, access to the benefits. It's frankly, especially in the case of solar, it's cheaper, it's cleaner, doesn't make noise, <laughs> uh, air quality's better, you know, doesn't ruin our water systems, right? The yeah. benefits are incredible. So I think seeing a lot of that growing up from mountains getting blown off and yeah. uh, those type of things like really pushed me into this work. Uh, yeah, I, to- I totally understand that feeling. I mean, I, I grew up surrounded by trees. I grew up uh, in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., actually, yeah. not too far from here. Yeah. And I just took for granted that trees are available for everyone. But when I would go visit my aunts and uncles in DC on the weekends, I could tell when we crossed the line. I knew exactly when we had a crossover into DC because the tree canopy dramatically decreased, dramatically decreased. And that's because when we think about urban places, we tend to think about them as places where we just put a whole bunch of buildings. And sometimes the buildings are super cool, right? Like definitely want that. But we also need to think about what kind of urban places we want to have. And we need to think about what is possible and what could be and create space for vegetation to make those places, to make urban places actually inhabitable. And so when we're talking about like heat islands, for example, you know, one of the best remedies for heat island is planting a tree. Like trees provide cooling 12 degrees lower under a tree just by planting a, a tree and letting it get to maturity. And that on a citywide scale is transformative. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's a, 
a misconception that we can't have cities with trees in them, right? Right, especially as we're sitting here in Washington, <laughs> D.C., the original city of trees. I mean, we definitely I didn't can. even know that. Yes, absolutely. There's the story of the first governor, and you know D.C. doesn't have governors anymore right. because Walsh Shepard actually blew the budget. That's, an, that's another panel. <laughs> <laughs> By planting the entire city with trees. Wow. Yeah. And then, then it took away governors, and now we, we don't have them anymore. Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to study abroad in college, and I went to London, and just like the amount of trees there blew my mind, because I just grew up visiting my grandmother in New York City, and I just thought a city meant skyscrapers, no trees. I thought that's what the rules were, you right. know? Yeah, and now we're changing the rules, and that's what's lovely about that. I mean, we're not only changing up the rules with sustainable buildings because we're we're allowing those buildings to actually mimic, to use natural resources like the sun and mimic nature, but we're all, we can also include nature in the design of our cities. Yeah. Uh, so that brings me to another question about the big challenges that, that you're facing. I mean, we talked a lot about the big, the key initiatives you're both working on, and you know, I think cities are already greener than they used to be in terms of more trees and there's more solar options. But what are the big challenges that you you each would say you're facing? I mean, the, the guts of most cities are, you know, the infrastructure that is your electrical grid, your water system, trash and waste systems. And there's opportunities across each of those, right? Obviously we have maybe a water issue in this country that's not really being addressed. And we've, we've heard a lot about it in Flint, but yeah. could be true in so many parts of America. Yeah. Uh, I've talked about, you know, energy access and accessing the electric grid. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, these, uh, the structures that manage these are, uh, you know, uh, in somewhat times undemocratic or, or don't have the right incentives to do the right thing. Um, and, and maybe provide customers new options or provide, uh, uh, you know, new companies who want to provide new services access to data. So in a lot of ways, that can start from your mayors and your city council to understand that a huge part of this city's quote unquote plumbing, right? The infrastructure uh, that they have, they have uh, power over public service commissions. A lot of people don't know what a public service commission is, right? 50 state unelected bodies, uh, some, some, in some states elected, but you know, a group of four to five individuals that manage a lot of the regulations around, you know, how cities can operate when it comes to these core infrastructure. And so we have actually done a lot of work at Arcadia, engaging those public service commissions because people don't realize it's an incredible lever at the state and then you know down to the city level to like enhance sustainability create new structures and frameworks yeah to be I, more sustainable and efficient i'd imagine there's mixed success with engagement with public service commissions yeah of course i mean <laughs> at, at least from a tech perspective the folks who have heard about it maybe heard about it through like a company like uber that mm -hmm. had to spend a lot of time changing rules and regs but in energy waste water they also hold a lot of power. Can you access solar, right? Uh, can you be more efficient? And I'm sure there's regulatory bodies that are yeah, saying, can you, you plant trees? <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Would you say that's a similar challenge you're facing or, or slightly different? I think it's similar because fundamentally, it's kind of this habit energy of the ways that we do things, the ways that we think about how to solve problems, right? And yeah. so we, I think we're both trying to overcome that. How do we get people to think about cities differently? and to incentivize making cities sustainable. Yeah. I think that, that shows up not only when you're dealing with public officials, but it also shows up in the way that we run our organizations. It shows up in the way that our partners want to work, right? So if we come out with a new idea like, hey, tree equity, 
we have to get people on board with that and they really have to understand what's in it for them. But I think the other part of that too is a lot of times sustainability issues are considered partisan. And that's unacceptable because we need to green cities for everyone. We need to green cities for the people who get on your nerves. We need to green <laughs> cities for the people we don't even like. We even we have to green cities for the people who disagree with you, right? Yeah. It's an issue for everyone. So how do we change messaging? How do we change mindset so that people can understand that we're all into this together? Yeah, so I, I think that's incredibly yeah. important. It's there should be nothing partisan about it because ultimately a more sustainable city is is part of the economic development. Yeah. You're attracting jobs and new companies yeah. um, if you have a desirable city. And a lot of times, at least modern, you know, a modern desirable city is one that is efficient. We were talking earlier about bike lanes, yeah. um, access yeah. to clean energy, trees, parks. Right? Jobs even. Jobs, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Jobs, place-based jobs is critically important. The thing about urban forestry is you can't plant an urban tree in a non-urban area. That means all of the urban forestry jobs are place-based. And so you're creating jobs for the people who need it the most in the city that they live in. That's fascinating. I didn't even think about that. Uh, but I mean, your argument here that a tree is a bipartisan issue, uh, I like that a lot. <laughs> um, well, I, I think this has been great. We're, we're running a little short of time, but this has been... Uh, do you have a final thought to share uh, with the panel about, about the sustainable city? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was just say, I think every mayor, um, you know, when, like they have so much power uh, as a mayor to change the way things have been done in the past. And sustainability maybe hasn't been at the top of sort of their hierarchy of what's right. most important. But I do think it is definitely a, uh, a focus now and it can promote economic development. And that's something I think every mayor needs to embrace. Absolutely. And I think uh, in addition to like representatives, people also have power. And I think people have power in their daily choices. And one thing that people can do, of course, is visit the Tree Equity Score and check out how their own neighborhood is doing. Right. They can, of course, uh, invest in us, invest in tree equity by donating to American Forest. And always, always, if you, if you have the opportunity, plant a tree. And then get involved, you know, tell your your mayor, tell your local representative, um, I want my tree equity score to be higher. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to talk about this with you both. Thank you. That was Karen Botrigu, CEO and founder of Arcadia, Maisie Hughes, Senior Director of Urban Forestry at American Forest, and Nick Lichtenberg, Executive News Editor at Fortune Magazine, discussing the future of sustainable cities at Salesforce's Net Zero Summit in April 2022. To learn more about how your company can become more sustainable and achieve net zero emissions, check out salesforce.com slash sustainability. That's salesforce.com slash sustainability. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios.